0: Today we're starting the book of Matthew and I love this book. This is, um, this is one of the Gospels. There are four Gospels in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they are all different perspectives of the story of Jesus and they, and they have different audiences. And so Matthew is writing to a very particular, specific Audience. He's writing to the Jewish people, and his whole goal, his purpose, his mission is to convince the Jewish people that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is king. And this is going to be a tough job for Matthew because even though Matthew is a Jew, let no one liked the guy. Everybody hated Matthew. And do you know why? Because he was a tax collector. Like, who likes tax collectors? Nobody. Like, ugh. And it was, he was worse than our tax collectors because he padded everything. So tax collectors made a lot of money. They charged too much tax, and when they paid the governor or the king or the official, they didn't pay them the full amount. And so he had lots of margin when he was like literally shaking down his own people. And so they hated his stinking guts. But he didn't care because he was making lots of money. You know, people like that that really don't care about other people. They don't care about other people's feelings. They don't even care if they're liked because they're just doing a really great job at making money. And that's all that really matters to them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm getting some nods on that one. You know those people, don't you? you need, they need to come to church. Um, but that was Matthew. And here's the thing. Here's the amazing story that doesn't, we don't really see. He gave it all up. He sacrificed the cash cow. He killed that goose that was laying the golden egg because he fell in love with Jesus. And that was worth everything. He didn't care about being rich anymore. He gave it all up. And he says, look, he is, Jesus is, he is the healer. He has he is, he is forgiven us of our sins. He's undone the works of the enemy of God. But most importantly, brothers and sisters, my Jewish brothers and sisters, he is the Messiah. He is the king. And this is what we're going to be looking at. Like, oh, whatever, Josh. Yeah, no big deal. No, you, this is such a hard idea and concept for us Americans to get. We don't understand kingship. We fire our king every four years. If he does a halfway decent job, we keep him for eight, right? We, we vote on our king. Um, we're, the gospel... According to Matthew, is the gospel or the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And in heaven everything is upside down and we don't get to vote. It is not a democracy, it is not a republic. It is a full blown monarchy, and you don't have a say in the matter. You don't have control in the matter. Isn't that, that, you don't like hearing this, do you? This is not sitting well with our American DNA, is it? We don't like kings and queens. Well, we do, like, I don't know, like on TV, right? Like at Disneyland. But uh, like having a, there we go, Disneyland. Um, but ha- actually having them tell us what to do or to pledge loyalty to an authority in power to submit to an authority? Oh my gosh, married folk can't even submit to one another, right? <laughs> How can we possibly submit to an authority? But this is, the, this is the message of Matthew, and we need to get it. Like, we need to fall in line with the lordship and the kingship of Jesus. He is king, we are his subjects, we are the feudal subjects of the king. He deserves that respect. Uh, let's get your Bibles out. Uh-oh. We're not going to read that anyway. I'm going to leave it on the floor. Uh, you need to thank God uh, you came to second service and not first service. Because in first service, I was reading primary history uh, passages from the Crusades. Yeah. I'm just going to paraphrase those because they didn't go over too well for a service. All right. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. We're going to. Genealogies? Like, you're already going to sleep. <laughs> right? Like, I, can, you just, like I said, genealogy. I just said record, and I said genealogies, and you guys already started checking out. It is really boring. But it serves a purpose for Matthew specifically. The son of David. David? The son of whom? Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah. That's the royal house, Judah. And his brothers, Judah the father of Perez. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, 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 blah. Who cares? Boaz, whatever. Jesse. Okay, here we go. Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. All right. This is the lineage of Jesus. So there's a lot of really cool people in the lineage. But right now, because he highlights it from the very beginning, David and Abraham and both figures are key on the whole concept and the idea and the truth of Redemption. The truth of salvation. Father Abraham had many sons, right? What was was the promise given to Abraham? What are his children going to do? Who are Abraham's children? Who are they going to save? Who are are Abraham's children? Who are they going to save? The Israelites? Uh. The whole entire world rests on Abraham's descendants. And this is who Jesus is. It is He is specifically linking Abraham's salvation promise to Jesus. And then number two, King David, who is a man after God's own heart, who who lived a sacrificial life, Although he wasn't the first king, he was definitely the anointed. Well, Saul was anointed too. He just blew it. Oh my gosh, let's not blow our anointings, huh? But David was a man after God's own heart, and he was the anointed king. And he was the king of salvation. And he even had a prophetic foresight to know that his descendant was going to be his master. Isn't that kind of a cool saying? Says, my, my descendant is going to be my Lord. I'm not quite sure if you completely understand what he was saying, but he knew that Messiah was coming out of his own line and that he was going to have to be that subject, even though that David is, he's an, he was an amazing king. So this is who Jesus is. And let's talk about uh, our Christmas story that's coming up. This is chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, who is a Jewish king. He's kind of a puppet king, but he's got Jewish blood in him. Magi. Uh, If you are reading out of the message version, your message version will say scholars. But in truth, magi So where we get the word magicians from. So it's Gandalf and uh, Merlin, and we're not quite sure exactly who the magi were—astrologers of some sort. But we, we believe that they came from uh, the the school of Daniel of some sort. So they knew what was going on. They understood, I don't get this, but they understood that were, there was something going on in the stars and they saw the, the star from the east and they had the idea, they had this concept. Again, they probably got it from Daniel, who was, you, you guys have been hanging around, you should know this. But he was in captivity in, in the east, in Babylon and in Persia. So they, they, they inherited this story, this narrative story that that we get from the Bible, they knew it and they saw, they literally saw the signs in the sky, and then they show up. So the magicians show up from the east to Jerusalem and they asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? Who are they asking this to? You're You're gonna see the drama soon anyway. They're asking the king of the Jews that, hey, There's going to be another king of the Jews. We saw his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born, in Bethlehem and in Judea, they replied, for this is, is what the prophet has written. Has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler, a king, who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. And then in verse, uh, verse 7, Herod basically flies off the handle and kills a bunch, a bunch of kids just to cover his bases. So you, we know the story. But the point is, Jesus... His role is to be king, king of heaven and king of earth. And so we got to make sure he's king of our lives. And again, as as an American, it's difficult. It's such a difficult thing. But this is what's declared. And this would be the attitude and the condition of our heart, is pledging our fealty and our loyalty to King Jesus. All right, difficult to do, right? All right, let's do this. This is going to be difficult. Um, The term crusader in our culture is now a negative term. And we're going to be talking about warfare, and we're going to be talking about the crusades. But before we get into it, I want you to see my heart. I am a borderline pacifist. I don't own a gun. I've, uh, I've shot a few squirrels with a pellet gun and I feel guilty about it. <laughs> right? um, I think Will Hart is really annoying. You know why? Because he's like, I just can't wait to be martyred someday like are you nuts you'd be martyred for Jesus like I'm not there yet folks and I think I have a I've got a there there is a biblical the very strong biblical defense to defend your family physically I even know that Jesus says annoying things like turn the other cheek that's going to be in the series that we're going to be getting into. We're going to be looking at the kingdom of God according to Jesus and the actual teachings of Jesus and the actual words of Jesus. Things like turning the, tree- the other cheek. And if somebody steals something from you, you're going to give them the rest of what you got, and you're going to gift-wrapped it. And I'm like, what? No. But anyway, uh, we, can, like, we, can, we can actually develop a really good defense for defending your family biblically. Uh, St. Augustine worked up actually um, justifiable war. We'll be talking about that in a second. But so it's there. Okay. You guys okay with that? So I'm going to be talking about the Crusades but it is my illustration today. It's the illustration I'm I'm, I'm using this historical event for context as an illustration a spiritual illustration. The It was, the, the Crusades were sparked as actually a defense against an attack. They don't teach that in school. But that was, that was the response. That was the impulse. Okay, no, there's a, there, we need to defend our land. We needed to, de- I mean, they believed that they were defending their families. In the ninth and 8th centuries... The nation of Islam, the caliphates, they, they, had a, they expanded out of Arabia. They took all of the holy lands, Syria, Damascus, Turkey. They took it all. It was all Christian territory, like literally Christian territory. All of North Africa, who, where Augustine was from, uh, it, was a very, it was the center of Christian life and culture. The Muslims took that within a couple of years. And they didn't do it through evangelism. They did it by the sword. Like, I'm not making this stuff up. This is just pure history. So you were, um, I mean, maybe this is a testimony of the faith of the people of of that generation. It was either renounce your faith or die. And that was literally what was going on. And this is why Augustine was writing about the justifiable war, because he would see these Christian cities fall to the sword. And by... 1095, 1080, 1095. Again, you're not going to hear this in college or probably high school. Muslims were in France. They were in central France. They were moving into Austria. So on all sides of Europe, they were literally being invaded. And this is the part that I'm not going to read you because, again, like... You thought the genealogies were going to put you to sleep. How about a primary source? This was actually written during, this is the primary. Primary sources are are actual texts from the actual period. And so uh, the leaders from Constantinople in Turkey, they sent emissaries to France. Are you ready for this? To, well, to France, to Pope Urban II. And they said, we need your help. Like, The Muslim armies—they're literally hundreds of feet away—and they can do it. They can sack Constantinople, which was the center of Eastern Christianity at the time, and it, and it, and it did fall, by the way. And so they asked the Crusaders for help. Europe at this time was comfortable, somewhat wealthy. It was coming out of the Dark Ages; people were prosperous. few generations from being Vikings by the way a few generations from being barbarians, they're kind of like a rough group of people, right? So basically we're Vikings we're talking about here. Comfortable. And Pope Urban gets up and gives this speech, which I'm going to paraphrase for you because again, I'll put you to sleep. But he stands up in front of a group of people, here's the irony, in, in the city, the French city of Clermont, <laughs> and he says, we are under attack, and he begins to quote actual incidences of torture, of defilement, of Christian sites, of, I mean, again, this is, it could be true, it probably is true, but they would... Um, they would kill Christians, and then they would baptize Christians in Christian blood to mock baptism. Um, Wholesale slaughter, I mean, this is what he, this is what, you know, this is the propaganda, I don't want to say propaganda, it's probably the truth, that he's presenting to these knights and noblemen and lords and kings of Europe. And he says, if we don't do something, this will, this, this violence is coming to our country. In fact, it's already here. Right, It's already here is what he's saying. He's saying, it is time to wake up. And he says something very interesting. He says, it's time for you to take the mark of the cross. We need to put the mark of the cross on you. And this cross was the red cross on the white background. And this is, that is actually the term crusader. The the actual definition of crusader is not somebody that is prone to violence. The definition of a crusader is one that has taken the mark of Christ. There's a campus ministry called Campus Crusade for Christ. But then they got politically correct and they named it crew. I think that's lame. I just do, I'm sorry. I had this uh, professor chaplain in college who, he's like, you know what, I'm not going to call myself a Christian anymore because Christians have done bad things. And I, and I got in trouble with him because I'm like, that's lame. That's dumb. Because I'm a Christian, and the definite, okay, yes, Christians do bad things, right? Crusaders do bad things because, like, they're a generation from being Vikings, right? Okay, is that, you getting the idea? No, I'm am I'm a Christian because the definition of Christian is a little Christ, and I want to be a little Christ. I want to I want to imitate Christ. I want to do the things that he does. I want to act the way that he that he acts. I want to think the thoughts that he has. I don't want to settle for being a follower or a student of Christ. I want to be Christ-like. I want to be a little Christian. And I I made the guy mad. But it's like, no, why, why should we give, why should we submit that term because of a few Christians that are behaving poorly? And why should we be even insecure about the whole term of taking on the mark of the cross? Okay, so let's just start off here. The Crusaders were a bunch of knuckleheads, Right? They, if anybody, did you guys see the series uh, Vikings? It's really good. But again, these are the people that we're talking about here. Are there any Norwegians or Swedes in the house? Okay, all right, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. <laughs> they, they, did, they did awful things. And then entire people groups fell in love with Jesus. They still had their issues they still have their bloodlust but here's what they did these knuckleheads what they did what our country doesn't do our christian nation doesn't do cuz when pope urban is up there and when he's saying it's guys it's time to go to war it's time to go to battle they were a lot like the, like our, our buddy Matthew, our gospel writer Matthew, because they gave everything for the cross. Not only did they not just take this sign symbolically, they put it all in. Again, Europe is a comfortable place at this time. They all have money. They all have their, their fancy cars. They got their fancy houses. Like, it's running fairly good. Yeah, there's some you know groups coming in that are that are you know could be a threat, but you know we'll just we're not going to worry about that. The 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 knights and the nobles and the kings sacrificed everything to go on this crusade. Financially, Americans, when we go to battle, we don't necessarily do this. Maybe with the exception of World War II. Most of our wars, if you want to peel back all the layers of the onion, all of our wars are financially motivated. (laughs) Saddam Hussein, bad evil guy, right? We're all in agreement that we should have got him and we got him. Good, that's a good thing. But the only reason why we got him because the guy was sitting on a load of cash in the form of oil. So we're invested in it. There's a lot of evil men all over the planet. And now it's not our problem, right? We don't want to meddle in those affairs. We're not gonna take on that cause, that noble, that noble cause, because we got you know, other things. But when they start messing around with our money, then things change, right? And then all of a sudden it becomes a noble cause. But see, here's the difference between the crusaders and us. There was no financial advantage to going on the crusade. In fact, they all went bankrupt. They all lost their money. They all came back from the Crusades dirt poor. The only thing that they had was the honor of defending Jerusalem. The only thing that they had was actually shedding blood on the Holy Lands and defending the faith. That is what they had. But they didn't make a dime doing it. I don't know if we would do that. Because that's what the mark of the cross calls us. That, that, that's. That could, be, that could possibly be the cost of discipleship. The cost of discipleship is placed on everybody. It just looks different for everybody. It could be time, it could be money, it could be energy, it could be resources. Who knows what the cost of discipleship It could even be your life, right? One of the other uh, branches of the Crusades was an organization called the, Knight, the Knights Templar. These dudes were bad, like bad in a good way. Like they were, <laughs> these guys were amazing, like they were untouchable. They, they're untouchable. They were the ones that were all white and the red crosses. And they, they were horse people, so they were able to train their horses well for battle. They, they, they trained war horses. Surrender was not in their vocabulary they literally fought to the death. Like, to be traded, you know, to to lose and get captured and to be traded, like, that was a dishonor to the Knights Templar. They would fight a battle knowing that they were going to lose, and they did it by principle. The the site that I dug at in Israel, Ashkelon, the Crusaders, uh, they attacked it. It was like, you know, about 100 crusaders against 1,000 Muslims inside of a fortified city. There was no way they were going to win, and yet they breached the wall anyway. There's crazy stories of them, you know, anyway. All kinds of myth involved in this, and we don't know what's, what's true and what's not true. But the point is... The Templars—they had a different mentality than most Christians do. Were they, you know, were they bloodthirsty? They were—they were monks trained in battle. I mean, it's like, again, this is—I want you to think about. I'm not—I'm not advocating violence. I'm not advocating religious—a new religious order to fight infidels. That's—I'm talking about this is an illustration here. But the other thing that the Templars did is that they set up checkpoints along the path to Jerusalem for the pilgrims and the travelers to go and then they began to offer credit and, and um, vouchers for the pilgrims and the fighters going into the holy lands this is where we get the beginnings of our very first banking system and our credit system started with the Knights Templar here's the difference between uh, their system and our banking system all of their banking, all of the Knights Templars, they had to take vows of poverty. Does your banker take a vow of poverty? Does the person holding your mortgage, what kind of car are they driving? Does their car look like your car? It doesn't, does it? So the very people that were running the most powerful financial institution at that time on the planet were poor. They took vows of poverty. Like, who does that? and they did it for the advancement of what they believed was the kingdom of God here on the planet. Wow. We're nowhere near that type of commitment. Doctors are the same way. Doctors took vows of poverty. Does your doctor take a vow of poverty? (laughs) Doctors do great things. I'm very grateful and blessed to have them. But it's a different system that we live in. You see the illustration? All right. This is where it's going to get a little weird. Why am I talking about the crusaders and these guys that were so, so sold out? And and again, they were knuckleheads. Um, they, they did save Jerusalem. They kept it for a very long time. They probably would have continued to have kept it um, but they ended up fighting with themselves, <laughs> right <laughs> Does that sound familiar? yeah um, practically they, you know, they ran everybody out. They, they ran the enemy out of France they, they ran the enemy out of Austria um, again, they saved the Holy Land they did you know they did took a lot of territory back and then they lost it um, Practically, if they hadn't have responded to Pope Urban's call to battle, call to arms, Pope, his, his famous saying, God wills it, God wills it, God wills it. The, the world would look very different today. If, if it wasn't for the Crusades I might be wearing a skull cap and the women might be sitting over here and the men might be sitting over there and there might be minarets on the four corners I mean I don't know this is like that's what was at stake see when Jesus asks us to follow him again that's one thing that's that's learning when Jesus says come and sit at my feet and learn and, and 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 be fed that's one thing then again, Jesus says something very annoying, very disturbing, and he says something that rubs us all the wrong way, and he says, if you're truly a follower of me, you're going to take up your cross and follow me. Crosses don't feel good. Like, that involves suffering, that involves sacrifice, that involves a higher, uh, lifestyle a higher plane of existence a higher calling if you will Uh, pope urban says this he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me urban the second so that's what he said in his speech and then he said something over and over and over again that got all these guys motivated he said god wills it god wills it god wills it god wills it then there was so much confidence in what he was saying It inspired an entire continent to go to battle for hundreds of years. All right, history aside. Uh, I had a dream. The reason why we're talking about the Crusades is I had a dream. I shared it with a few people because dreams are from the Lord, some of them, and some of them are from pizza. (laughs) And when you share a dream, um... Like, I think you need to have, like, if you get a dream about somebody, I would suggest that you check it with somebody that you trust before you go and share some crazy lucid dream that you had, right? Just double check it. So I did the, I double checked this one with a few people. And um, I feel like God's in it. So this dream happened a couple of nights ago, and this is why we're talking about the Crusades. So I dreamt that there was something very similar to what Urban did, where he puts a call out for battle. The Lord, in my dream, put a call out for battle. An invitation, if you will, to our people. Not just Granite Creek people, but all people. All Christians inside of this country. They call themselves Christians. And there was a response. Because you know that there's something quite not right with this world. There's something quite not right with this experience, the, the, the American experience. It, you know, you feel like you're here, but then you really feel like you're not quite here. Something not right about this kingdom. And there's something being, you're attracted to the upside down kingdom of the kingdom of heaven. And so there was, a, in my dream, there was a response to the call of battle. Are you guys okay with this, like, testosterone-filled sermon right now? I'm sorry. Okay. There was a lot of response. And I'm sorry, gals, but this was my dream. It was all guys. It was all men. And men that were immature, men that looked like boys, boys that looked like men. We're all responding to the call, take up your cross. That the whole you know, if you don't fight, then you're not worthy. And there was, uh, Crystal, put that that black and white picture up. So here's Pope Urban with his cross, and he's petitioning the crowds, and in my dream. There's something similar to this, and the crowds were responding, and they began to prepare for battle. And this is what I saw that was very interesting. Again, uh, boys that looked like men and men that looked like boys. And they began to put their armor on, some incredible armor, beautiful and shiny and heavy and chainmail, very vivid and you could tell that there was a, they've done a lot of work on their armor. And they had the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, and the belt of truth, and they've got their sword, and they know how to use it. And then there was a number of men that, um, that looked like some of our youth kids at Domed. Domed is a game that we play at youth group. You should get your kids to do it. It's absolutely amazing. I did it myself last time. I got domed. But what it is, is like this whole auditorium gets cleared out and there's obstacle courses put everywhere and kids get into it and they make cardboard shields and cardboard helmets and they whack each other with with noodles and foam swords and throw fake fireballs at each other. It's awesome. But in my dream, there were some people, some men that were that were putting on that for their armor. Cardboard helmets and cardboard shields and thinking that they were completely okay. And then others, maybe they're a little bit different, but I definitely saw plastic armor and plastic swords. And then there was a portal. There was a, a, a gate between the real world and the spiritual world. Um, and then these armies clad in their armor crossed through the portal from the real world into the spiritual world and I could see them going through the, through the portal like going through the screen but on the other side of the screen is, is, is where the war was taking place the battle was taking place and so uh, as I'm getting ready to go into battle look, I, this is, you need to get this I don't have uh, delusions of grandeur here okay, so my dream is your dream, okay So this is you. You're the character. And as I am getting ready to go into battle, uh, my war horse shows up. I have my armor on. I got my sword. And my my war horse shows up. And again, this is me, but I love horses. I love them. Um, my parents didn't buy me a motorcycle when I was a kid when I asked for one. They got me a quarter horse instead, which I think is more dangerous. They had no idea how, how much I took this thing out. I let this, I let this horse go, you know, picking gravel out of my face. and Just nuts. I just should not have had that thing. I also had this little evil pony. The pony was probably worse than the horse because it was smart. You know, you couldn't, like, turn your back on this pony because it would either kick you or bite you. It was evil. Evil. So if you ever had evil glue, that's because sassy is in that glue. Oh, no. (laughs) Glue that doesn't quite work right? That's my pony. Anyway, um, so I get on this war horse, and it's clear to me that this is the Holy Spirit. And there's so much kinetic energy trapped into this horse. There's so much power in this thing. Have you ever been on a horse that's just like, wow. And I get on this horse and it's just like, what? Like who's in control here? When I first started riding horses, my grandfather would tell me, you need to make sure within a few moments that you and the horse, you figure out who's boss. And if you're not the boss, you're gonna end up on the ground. So you need to teach that horse who's the boss. But that wasn't gonna happen with this horse, folks, because this horse was the Holy Spirit, and I got on this thing I'm like, I mean, it was like crawling on a horse. But then all of a sudden, I'm like, "Oh, this is the Holy Spirit," and this sucker just like came up, you know, did the whole and I'm like, like, hanging on my dear life on this thing, and then we go through the portal. Like this thing is moving, like and so much power. So much kinetic energy, just da-dun, da-dun. and like we're riding through full-blown carnage as we as we cross that that portal into battle. Like all these guys with their plastic swords are like oh, and the, you know the cardboard things are like oh. It's just like I mean, there's monsters eating these guys. It's just. Awful, And it's like a mixture of World War I and the Crusades and World War II and trench warfare. And like, it's just messy. And as I'm on this horse, as I'm on the power of the Holy Spirit, as you are on this horse, we're just going from skirmish to skirmish. We're jumping over each and every Barrier, barbed wire, bombs, untouched. And we have no control. Oh, how does that feel, control freaks? How does that feel? I, you are on the most powerful force in the universe, and you have no control over it. And the way that she is galloping through all this mess is like, you're not too engaged in these skirmishes because there's a bigger prize. There's just one. There's just one fight that you need to fight. And as we get through the end of all of this chaos and carnage, there is uh, one individual. He doesn't have any weapons. He just has fireworks. And my initial thought like, what? Because there was an innocence to him there was like, yeah, I'm okay with this guy. He's not a threat to me. And then the horse tells me, kill it. And I chop its head off. And I don't feel bad about it. Even though I feel guilty about killing squirrels. Because it's the enemy of God that we don't see. He is the one that we get very comfortable with. Do you know that you can put the devil in a cage and you can go and he can be your little wild animal and you can go and pet him all the time and you feel like you have control because you've got him in the cage? He's no threat. He's familiar. He's even somewhat safe because you've got him locked up in the prisons of your soul. In reality he's working you. In reality it's all flipped around. You're the one that's in the cage even though that you think that you have him in the cage. And he comes off, he always comes off as not being a threat. But if you're riding that war horse, the war horse will tell you that that is the threat. All the other violence, all the other skirmishes that you can spiritually fall into, all the other traps, they're all major distractions, and he's leading you. The Holy, let the Holy Spirit, let this unstoppable force lead you right to that point, that, the source, and let him Let you cut the head of the serpent off. He knows where to take you. Let him use you to cut that head off. And once the head is off, you win the battle. Amen? Let me get the band of the ushers to come up. Matthew chapter 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, and he said to them, Go ahead and get me a donkey. Verse 4. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the sons of, daughter, of the daughter of Zion, See, your king comes to you. Riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and they did this and Jesus, as Jesus had instructed them, they brought the donkey, blah, blah, blah. Now the crowds went ahead of him and those followed shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, to the king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord that has the mark of the cross on their hearts. Hosanna in the highest, and when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the holy city, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth. He is our king. So go in the name of the Lord. Take the cross. Become a crusader. Remain a Christian. Take back territory that was stolen from the enemy of God and advanced into new lands that literally belong to you. God bless you guys as you give back to the Lord.